It's time for the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on BallQuest. Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the BallQuest.com Mailbag Podcast, presented by Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store, focusing on natural products and organic remedies for a variety of ailments that you're dealing with out there. That is Smoky Mountain Organics, featuring the best brands of CBD products, bath and body care items, organic teas, largest selection of plant therapy, essential oils in Tennessee, plus much, much more. That is Smoky Mountain Organics, four locations to serve you. They're in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville, and the newest location in Knoxville is at 8018 Kingston Pike, right across from Trader Joe's, or you can shop online at SmokyMountainOrganics.com. Again, if you shop in the store, be sure to mention BallQuest, and they'll give you 15% off of your purchase. That is Smoky Mountain Organics with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us. Plenty of questions to get to, and let's go, guys, right out of the gate with Valdemir Winolotsky. He wants to know what are some specific tactics in reference to the never-ending investigation that opposing coaches are using in recruiting. Austin, that was pretty simple. Lots of bowl bands, lengthy bowl bands, right? Yeah, um, I mean, that's the – lots of kids have told me that the other schools – and I know a few that have done it. I'm not going to point names because it doesn't matter. It's not like Tennessee's never used stuff like this to their advantage over the years. Um, <clears throat> you know, have, have referenced four-year bowl bands three-year bowl bands, five-year bowl bands. <laughs> I like laugh. I'm like, I mean, no way gets a five-year bowl band. Good Lord. Um, you know, but, hey, again, as we've said for months, recruits, recruits, parents, they don't – I mean, they don't know what to believe and what not to believe. I mean, like, it's easy to go, well, that's stupid. They should know better. No, they don't. They don't know better. I mean, you know, they and they don't know what to believe. And are you believing the school that's – Potentially going on probation and under investigation, or are you tell are you leaving the school that's not? Yeah, and the longer it goes, too, um, the, the longer the thing goes, the more credence some people's wild accusations can 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 be presented. So yeah, I told yeah. you. They, I mean, they can't even get the thing done. You know, Rob. Yeah, and it's like I mean, they don't have to believe there's going to be a three year bowl ban. They just have to believe that that possibility is out there. Whereas yeah. at school X, Y, and Z, that's not a that's not a concern. Because Tennessee can't definitively say that's not correct. Exactly. All right. On to question number two he has, what will the quarterback room look like by mid-January? Who will stay and who will go? We obviously learned um, on Wednesday that Harrison Bailey is officially gone, heading into the transfer portal. No surprise. Been uh, kind of indicating that was imminent all week long. So that news w- was not a shock there. Um, Taven Jackson, Austin, supposed to be here midterm. Joe Milton, if he were to leave, has to transfer down. So I'm not sure what Joe Milton would want to do or not want to do. And then Hendon Hooker didn't exactly go down the road of conversation about what next year would look like for him. Said he was focusing on the now, and his name has surfaced some with you know Mel Kiper and some of that stuff um, with the NFL draft. But I don't think anybody sees him getting drafted really high. So we'll see. Well, wisely Hendon Hooker and, and, and I did I had some fun with him I started talking about you know I point blank asked him if he's come back that's when he kind of deflected and focused on now and then when I said I asked him the question about the jump from year one to year two he talked about the excitement level of going into year two um but you know wisely never pinned himself in one way or the other you never sure. want to pin yourself in it was writing pencil with an eraser so one way or the other because you never know what may happen. Um, so, 
yeah, I mean, the quarterback room could look vastly different. I said on the board Thursday when asked or Wednesday when asked, um, you know, do we expect them to take a second quarterback? I do, even if it's from the transfer portal. You know, Tennessee, I think, is almost bound to because, you know, Joe Milton could flake out at any moment. Anytime you've got an older quarterback that isn't playing, how much desire do they have to just ride it out? Now, maybe he does. Maybe he just wants the education and, and the free ride and all that stuff. But, you know, you, you never know. No, you don't, have any, you don't have any idea. And I'll, I'll just say that Mel Copper's big board, I mean, I'm sure we all know that's not every GM's big board, but there were 10 quarterbacks taken last year, and I, that was the lowest number since, like, 2015. So, if he's eight or, you know, eight to 11 somewhere, then he's got a good shot at being a – you know, getting picked somewhere besides just at the tail end of the draft. Yeah. Um, I'll say this. The guy who made the best decision about not going in the NFL draft was Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh because that guy's draft stock is certainly climbing by coming back and being a super senior. That has paid major dividends for him. He's going to get drafted much higher than he would have a year ago when you look at who was in front of him in the draft. He, he's going to be one of the top two, three quarterbacks taken in the draft and that was certainly not going to be the case for him a year ago had he elected uh, to go out. And is it the most Tennessee thing ever? Who, I mean, look at they played Matt, they played Pickett, Matt Corral, and Bryce Young. Who's yeah. who's better? Than, who's better than those three? Yeah, that's the three best quarterbacks by by numbers in, in college football right now. Um, last question for him: When do you expect Jeremy Pruitt's lawyer to threaten to hurl accusations towards Uncle Austin? <laughs> you know, the the next time hubs that uh, I'm responsible for Tennessee. Uh, getting a kid will be the first time I'm responsible for Tennessee getting a kid. So um, that's funny. Yeah. Zeval wants to know, I know this is in the past now, but what are some of the biggest reasons, biggest misses in recruiting over the past few years that have led to the lack of speed at the safety position? Given that Jeremy Pruitt and Derek Ansley were secondary coaches, it is a bit surprising that safety is as big of a weakness on our roster as it is. Where recruiting misses, poor evaluations, or some combination of both more of a factor in terms of Tennessee's lack of quality options at safety. Austin, we've talked about this. That first year, Jeremy Pruitt came in, and he focused solely on five-star five guys that were on the West Coast and everywhere else. Not South on, Florida. Right. Not on guys that they could realistically get. Um, Trayvon Flowers was a guy who kind of popped on the scene late that Tennessee really liked. Um, you know, he was going to Kentucky to play baseball. Uh, so that's an evaluation that's been – okay you know um and and then you know tank tank mccullough's played a lot of football it's just i mean he doesn't have great foot speed and um i, I think at that point that was tennessee getting what they could get with where they were um in, in you know in the process but early on jeremy Pruitt and his staff swung for the fences and missed in that short period that they that they got here yeah, that, and, of course, you know, those other two were in the second class. But that first class, you know, you're right. I mean, they swung, swung at Isaac Taylor Stewart. They swung at Elijah Griffin. They swung at Tyson Campbell. They they slow played Eddie Jackson, and he ended up at Alabama because Tennessee did slow play him. And they probably would end up there anyways, Alabama at that point. It's just kind of, you know, too strong in recruiting. But the point is, is like, you know, they slow played him. So then he went on, you know, to Alabama. They really slow played the kid uh, from Atlanta that ended up going to NC State. I forget his name. Um, you know, but, yeah, I mean, Tennessee, <laughs> they, he swung big. He just thought all these five stars were just going to fall to him. And, uh, 
you know, it was not the case. And so, you know, they, they've, I think, swung heavily at some big timers since then and just hadn't had no traction. It was one of the more bizarre things of, of Jeremy Pruitt's tenure was their lack of success in the secondary and recruiting. Yep, it was. I mean, everybody assumed they would rack up there and they didn't. All right, Rob Bassmaster Vall wants to know, do you believe uh, the SEC is corrupt? The scheduling last year leads me to indicate yes. They clearly favored the highly ranked teams. If they do that in scheduling like that, do they do it in other areas such as officiating to protect championship hopefuls? I think that's – I think that is apples and oranges. I mean, the sch- scheduling to make it – you know, corrupt is a strong word to make, say you made a favorable schedule so you get two teams in the playoff get those financial I think that's a much different thing than you know going to the going to replay and you know not calling it like like it actually happened. I I hesitate to say they're corrupt. I mean I, I know to a lot of Tennessee fans are on that conspiracy theory, but I just I don't I don't know if I can cross that bridge. I, my, my biggest thing is there's no accountability. There's no transparency and there's no accountability. I mean I think they're incompetent. The fact that they're so often incompetent when Tennessee's involved, I guess maybe a lot of fans see is too strong of a coincidence. But I just, again, I can't, I can't quite go that far to, to where I'm seeing the black helicopters over the football stadium. It, 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 every fan base, every fan base, even Alabama's. Like if you look at the Alabama Twitter or Alabama message board during the Texas A&M game, <laughs> and they're, they're losing because of the officials. You know, I mean, the, the, every fan base – is so quick to point out, you know, the flaws in officiating. But Rob's right. It, it, is, it does seem to happen more with Tennessee. And it's not just Tennessee. There's a few other programs it seems to happen uh, with as well um, where, you know, you know, the spot is just woefully wrong. Replay comes back with a head-scratching decision, um, so on and so forth. Well, and also, I mean, the same Mississippi State, you know, the, the blown calls in that loss to Memphis. Why is the SEC crew going to be biased towards Memphis? I mean, they're just right. not good. Yeah. I mean, and the replay, again, my biggest issue is I don't think replay uh, does enough to help the, the right enough wrongs when on the field mistakes happen. I don't think there's enough plays that are reviewable, and I don't think they have the capability of reviewing the way they need to to right those wrongs. Well, and I did ask Greg Sankey in the press box Saturday night. I stopped him at halftime, and, and I said, hey, I forgot to ask you this on the nation because we were kind of – you know, thrill a minute there, asking so many questions, and me and Lowe were bouncing back and forth. And I said, why can the the TV cameras or number of cameras not be the same across the board, whether it's SEC plus streaming of Chattanooga and Bama or Georgia and Auburn on CBS or, you know, or, or any ESPN game, whatever. And he did say that, that you know, that's strictly a uh, production quality uh, standpoint. I'm not. He he never really you know would tell me why that they can't just come down and say, okay, everybody's going to have 37 cameras or 63 cameras or whatever. Um, he did say that they've added more cameras in the next TV package when that starts. That each each level will have an extra camera or two, um, but they will not be equal. They will still not be equal, but they have added extra cameras. Um, along the way. And then, um, you know, I, I did ask him about the, my idea of if you can track a football or if you can right. track a golf ball, why can you not track a football? He said that that's been looked at. Um, 
you can't just simply put a chip in the football because what if the chip's in one end and, and you know, the, the end that doesn't have the chip is the one that gets across the goal line, but the chip end does it. He goes, it's one where you've got to almost, you know, change the football, not the shape of it, but like you have to do something like coat the football in whatever substances is kind of like they did in hockey, but then it changes the feel of the ball. So it's something that they're all looking at. Um, but at the same time, they just have not been able to totally master it yet. So we'll see. Uh, hopefully not, that doesn't mean everybody gets the pylon cam because we don't all need the pylon cam. Uh, Tampa Bay Trey wants to know, have you guys noticed that in Heupel's offense, our quarterbacks always take relatively short drops? Love this offense overall, but in my opinion, this is a problem schematically and head-scratching considering how much emphasis Heupel puts on spacing the field. It's ironic his quarterbacks operate so tight to the line of scrimmage. Obviously, our offensive line is the main source of blame, but I believe this philosophy by Hypo is contributing to the high number of sacks. Um, have you noticed the same? Uh, if not, please keep that in mind when you're reviewing the game take the next time. I have noticed it. Uh, they don't take a deep drop. In fact, they don't drop generally when they catch the ball in the shotgun. Um, we'll see what kind of adjustment, if they make adjustment moving forward, because when you drop eight, um, you have to have more, you know, defenses are dropping eight, Rob. You have to have more time for guys to get open windows. Things aren't always on, on an immediate quick throw like that. Um, so it can be, you know, problematic. I've talked to some former quarterbacks who have said, you know, that would be challenging um, because guys are in your face often. Is he going to make major changes there? I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't think so. Um, but, but Ole Miss is the same premise of the offense. And they've tweaked some things, obviously, in year two uh, with Matt Corral. He's dropping a little deeper. So, so we'll see um, whether they drop that. That would be something um, I'll talk, try to talk to Josh Heupel about. But I have noticed that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would ascribe a lot of it to the offensive line. I mean, I think a lot of the game plan that we're seeing every week right now is dictated by the limitations on the offensive line. Um, I heart balls. You mentioned in Tuesday's podcast how Alabama picked on our safeties because of their lack of speed. Since we as fans have known for three years that McCullough and Flowers don't have blazing speed, I have to assume the coaching staff figured that out pretty quickly too. That said, why didn't they move some people around in the spring to get faster players on the field, perhaps even moving tank to linebacker? I mean, they didn't have a full, I didn't have a whole bunch of safeties to work with in the spring. Well, same reason Todd Kelly Jr. never moved to linebacker. Tank McCullough's not big enough to play linebacker. Right. Yeah, for, on, on McCullough, that he, that he doesn't fit at linebacker. But in terms of safeties and bodies, Austin, I mean, some of these guys weren't here in spring practice. You know, no, they that, weren't. That, that some of the some of this depth that they have now, they they weren't here and weren't available uh, in in spring practice. Um, so th there wasn't that kind of flexibility at the safety position. And, and obviously, Willie Martinez has been pretty comfortable with the safeties and has complimented them. Uh, I just think that you got to be careful and, and, and help them out because they can get picked on if you get them into some isolation situations. I think that's exactly what Alabama did on the big third and 15 play uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, Pine Mountain Ball, with two-thirds two of the season in the books, does this coaching staff feel any different than the others at this point? If so, how, Rob Lewis? I think they feel a lot different, don't you? I mean, it's early. I mean, everybody you know, might have a different opinion in a year. But um, I just think Josh is, I mean, far more positive. I mean, even, you know, even if Jeremy didn't necessarily badmouth kids, I mean, you could tell by body language or how he would answer questions that, you know, I, I think he sidestepped some accountability from time to time. I don't want to say that he, you know, wasn't saying 
you know, nothing's my fault or anything to that degree. But I just don't think Heupel cares about that kind of stuff. I mean, he's like, he, he owns, you know, whatever it is that's out there. And I, I think a great example of something I wrote about this in the three, two, one, when he went forth the other night in the fourth quarter from the 20, his own 29 yard line, about, about five minutes left, fourth and six. I mean, that wasn't going to change the outcome of the game, no matter what happened. And, but he didn't care whether they lost by 21 or 28. Butch Jones kicks that football every single day of the week. Because he because he he does care whether you lose by twenty one or twenty eight, and that's that's kind of a small thing, but I think it illuminates kind of Heupel's personality and approach. I mean, all, he he doesn't care about anything that doesn't matter. Because guess what, Rob? That's the if you're not first, you're last mentality. I mean, like you know, and and, and that's the good way to play. I mean, you're playing to win. I mean, people complain when he didn't go for it the week before. You know, and, and even the other night, people were when he didn't go for it earlier. Uh, when he punted away from like the 50, people were, were complaining. I mean, you know, I, I think it just depends on where you're at in the football game. You know, do you think it's worth is the juice worth the squeeze to go for it on fourth down from the 45 in the third quarter? When you're down one score. When you're down one score, or is the juice worth the more worth the squeeze to, to shoot your shot in the fourth quarter down two scores trying to make something happen? Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing, too, back to the bigger picture of the question of, of how is he different, um, he's done a – this staff has done a f- terrific job of getting the older players all in from the moment from the moment jump. And um, I, I think that that's been a conscious effort. I think they've done a good job of not – well, he's not our guy, you know, privately. Well, I mean, these guys can't play. These guys, I mean, they were their guys from the moment they took the job. That's the way they've – that's the way they've approached it. And I think it's paid great dividends – which is why you're seeing some seniors play the way that they're playing. I mean, look look at Hendon Hooker. <laughs> I mean, Hendon Hooker's sitting here in February, you know, late January, Rob, and, and he doesn't know, like, wait a minute, what have I got myself into? You know, and, and he absolutely is has enjoyed every moment here and was even enjoying it in August when he wasn't a starting quarterback. And that's a guy that had never had a conversation with Josh Heupel about anything, walks into a new place, doesn't know anybody, and they make him feel as comfortable as somebody who's been in the Tennessee program two years um, or, or somebody they knew through recruiting that they brought in out of the transfer portal or, or, or whatever. I mean, I, I think that the way they've handled the veteran players is the biggest reason why this thing feels different compared to – I mean, look at – to me, there's – I mean, Cedric Tillman is off the charts as far as a great example of that. I mean, he, had, he had eight catches in his first three years here. And he had, we had seven for 152 <laughs> Saturday night. And, and, and hey, if, if Cedric Tillman were coming out of high school and this staff was together, I don't know that this staff would recruit Cedric Tillman coming out of high school. But but he's their guy, right? I mean, that, yeah. that's the point. I mean, he's their, he's their guy. Does he fit everything they're looking for in a wide receiver? No, I don't think he's got all the speed numbers and everything. But he's, he's their guy, and they're finding ways to use him and make him an effective football player. Well, you know, truth be told, really nobody recruited Cedric Tillman coming out of high school, period, until, you know, it, they, they got a call from Tyson, Clay Helton called Tyson Helton and said, hey, I, can't, I don't have a spot for this guy. You should take a look at him, you know. And we talked about that the other night when he came out for the locker room. You know, and, and all those kids that have come out for the locker room or Tennessee Prime, you know, have all talked about just, you know, the, the, the difference in positivity 
I, you know, it, it, I, think, I think kids just gravitate towards it. I think kids want to be coached hard. I, I, you know, some don't, but I mean, a lot of them do, you know, but nobody wants to just be hammered at every moment. At some point, like, you know, if Hub says, hey, I need you to get this done, I need you to get this done, and that's all he ever does, and he never says, hey, you did a good job, <laughs> you know, like it, it, you, hearing good job is a good thing from your boss or your coach or whatever else. So I think that's the biggest thing. It's not about, you know, that they didn't, that they coached them too hard or didn't coach them hard or any of that stuff. It's just, you know, when a kid does well, he wants, he'd like to hear, Hey, good job. Way to go. Way to put in that work. And and I also think this is a careful distinction just because we're talking about positivity and all that. I I don't think that means at all. Yeah. It's not kumbaya. I mean, I think it's very competitive and I think Hypel is, can easily get confrontational with a player on the practice field if it's called for. I just don't think he, – he's just not beating kids down. And I think when he when he does get on him, there's a reason, and he and his staff I, I think are good about, you know, highlighting that reason and kind of showing the path forward to what they want. Volunteered 87, if you had to pick one name for the USC job, one name for the LSU job, who are your guesses? Also, besides Garner and Coach Heupel, who are your one or two guys from this staff you're sending into a big-time recruits living room to seal the deal, uh, take, ignoring territories and position of the recruit? Who, who are the other dynamic personalities? I'll go I, James Franklin, USC, Lane Kiffin, LSU. And on this staff, I, I really like Jerry Mack. You know, he's still learning this level of recruiting. It's just different than Rice and North Carolina Central. But I think he's got big-time recruiter written all over it. He's young. He's hungry. He's motivated. Um, outside of that, man, I don't know. That's tough. I mean, I think Golish can handle himself uh, in, in a living room. So, you know, I think he would be able to handle moms and dads uh, in I'm, a pretty I, good way. I think an underrated guy who – just from watching him at camps, interact with parents and kids, Willie Martinez, I think does a good, really good job of connecting with, with people. And, and just, you know, being real genuine and down to earth. You got, any, you got anybody on the USC LSU job? I, I completely agree with AP. I mean, I don't know if, that, I don't know if that's how it shakes out, but that's, that's what I would put at the top of the board for both of them right now. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't completely sleep on Jimbo Fisher. I know he said oh, no. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't, I but, wouldn't either. But, um, I mean, his, his word, his, I don't know, you know, I, I, if I'm an A&M fan, I, I'm, I'm not sleeping comfortably until yeah. – LSU's at the podium with a coach. I agree with that. that. But they, I mean, you know this, I mean, they could also, I mean, if it's about money, he'll, he'll stay, he'll be at Texas A&M because they can throw whatever they want to throw at him. No, there's no doubt about that. I think it's for him, it's just a simple decision of what does he think is a better job? Does, does being, you know, in Texas with Texas coming in the league versus being, you know, in LSU, you know, in Louisiana is the only game in the state. Your facilities at Texas A&M are better and are going to be better because there's more money there. Uh, Pope for UT, any firm plans for facility updates, upgrades targeted at the football team, players' lounge, et cetera? Uh, players' lounges would, would be the next thing on the horizon for the football team. Uh, we'll see where that's at, how long it takes to get there. That's part of the shareholder society and, and fundraising that's going on there. But that would be the next thing um, on the uh, – on the horizon for the, for the football team. All right, uh, Ramrod four ninety five on Tennessee Prime. Both guys said a player coming on is Slaughter. With that being the case, is there any thought to Theo going back to safety and letting Slaughter and Turnage man the star position? Also, hype mentioned Willis coming on a week or so ago. Any chance he gives us a few plays on defense? 
Uh, what about Charles and McDonald? I, I don't know when Charles is going to be back. Um, I think that Slaughter is kind of next man up. I mean, if there's an injury at safety, don't you think that Theo is going there? If there's going back there, and he's going back there, and Slaughter's coming in. Yep. Do they do that for extended periods of time, or they do that? You know, I, I don't know, but that would be the direction they go. I don't think Aaron Willis is going to be a factor for Tennessee this year on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, well, it's like Jeremiah Crawford. Hubs. I mean, like they they gave him a ton of reps going into Alabama, but then he didn't play. I mean, like it, it still boils down to can you trust the kid? You right. know. And, and at this point, I'm not sure Willis has earned trust, but it's like same thing with Crawford. All right. Let's run through a couple of some fast uh, rapid fires here on a couple of recruiting questions. Uh, Anth Run wants to know who are the DB recruits the staff is targeting, not named Jordan Davis and Zach Frazier. Yeah, I think it was Jordan Thomas. Um, well, they go continue to look at Jeremiah Caldwell. Um, you know, they, they may look at, you know, there's a couple other Juco guys. Cody Jones, uh, to me, is, is right near the top of the list uh, as far as, as DBs go. Um, you know, and they're going to continue to work the, the, the DB route. Um, that's just kind of where they are um, with, with different stuff. I'll I tell you this. I'm interested to see if they make a play at anybody else that is committed elsewhere. You got about seven, seven to eight weeks until, until signing day. I'm not ruling out the possibility of taking Tennessee taking some swings here, especially on the defensive side. Yeah. Um, staff take another quarterback. If so, most likely to portal. We've already addressed that. Yes, think so. What's happened to Jimmy Callaway? Is that just simply a doghouse situation? Feels like it, Austin, that, that Jimmy Callaway is a guy who's got to do everything in, in a more timely fashion, better fashion than he's done so far. And then are the high school wide receiver recruits having good senior years? He's curious about Chase Nimrod in particular. Yeah, Nimrod's having a really good year out there in Arkansas. I mean, every week he's putting up, you know, really good stats and, you know, makes makes some big plays. He's kind of been a big play guy for uh, for Venville. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's having a solid year. Um, let's go on down to a couple more here that we've got. Um, we've already talked about Tank McCullough there. At Texas A&M, if Haynes King loses a starting job for good – and Calzada cements his role. Do you think King enters the portal? Would he be a good fit for this offense? I know it's wild speculation in another school, but humor me for a moment. Uh, Austin, I think anybody, particularly or Rob, you jump in or two, I think the quarterback position is always a possibility for guys entering the transfer portal if they don't think they're going to get a, a legit opportunity. And so I'm not saying Haynes King's going anywhere, but I think anybody who's got a young establishing, a young quarterback who's establishing themselves, I think you look at everybody in their quarterback room because anybody could be subject to jump. Yeah, but I'm I mean, not sure how attractive Tennessee is, though. Even if there's only two quarterbacks in the room next spring, I mean, you're going to have – assuming Hooker comes back, you're going to have an incumbent that played really well, and you're going to have a high, pretty highly regarded freshman. I, I agree with this. I, I, I couldn't agree more, actually. I mean, I just think if you're – let's say, okay, let's, everyone wants to talk about the boy at Oklahoma, you know. Um, Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler. If you're Spencer Rattler, like, I, even as confident as he is, like, I mean, it, the way Hendon Hooker has played, especially if he closes strong. Let's say they beat Kentucky. They don't beat Georgia, but they, they compete hard and he plays well and doesn't turn to have, have a meltdown turnover game um, and then wins the last two. They go to a bowl game. I mean, he's going to carry so much momentum into the offseason. Like, somebody like Spencer Rattler or a Haynes King, if, if they're bolting 
they're bolting to play right away. Like, you know, uh, that quarterback position, man, nobody's wanting to sit and wait. So I, I think you're going to constantly see this revolving door of quarterbacks every year. And, and there'll be plenty of times where I think guys lose jobs because they get injured and somebody comes in and, wall, and, and Wally pips them. And when, when that happens, then they'll end up in the portal. And maybe you didn't see that coming to start the season. Who had Rattler in the portal at the beginning of the season? I thought Rattler was a bit overrated. I thought Oklahoma – and I still think Oklahoma's – Actually, I think they're way overrated. But no one saw him going to the portal and Caleb Williams passing him up uh, due to poor play. Uh, Vol for Life 37643 wants to know this defense is first in the SEC, third in the country in tackles for loss. Why isn't that translating into sacks and quarterback pressures, Rob Lewis? I mean, Tennessee's been a pretty decent pass rushing team. They got they got home twice against uh, Bryce Young the other night. They got – they got 21 um, sacks on the season. Yeah, I mean, it is showing up. <laughs> 21 the, sacks. The problem, is, the, the problem is when a quarterback scrambles, they can't get him on the ground. That's the problem. And, I mean, they, I made, think, they made Bryce Young get off his spot, but they couldn't tackle him when he got off his and spot. I, I think that's linebackers and safeties. When, once he gets to the second level, I think I – mean, I, I mean, Saturday was an extreme example, but the tackling from the linebacker spot and the safety spot was just terrible. Made terrible, and the other problem with that is it's showing up. And you know how many third and sevens did Alabama, was Alabama in the other night because Tennessee got him behind the sticks. But I, didn't they convert that eleven times over third yeah, and seven or more? A bunch, a bunch. They were they were certainly really really good at it. All right, a couple more things. We're at the gate here. Uh, any potential new targets in the twenty two basketball recruiting class, Rob? Well, there's one I, I didn't think so, but Tennessee threw out an offer tonight to a guy I've never even heard of and had to call around and uh, try to find some information on. Ain't, Angel Montes, I think is how you say it. He's in a prep school down in Florida, 6'5", athletic kid, but it doesn't have – I think Illinois was his only other Power 5 offer. Um, I think it's, it's that's a little bit of a head-scratcher. Tennessee's really going hard after him right now because I don't see wing as much of a need in, in this class. Um, to me, he sort of looks like a less refined Jemai Meshack. Um, and – Talking to people on the program, they are big time prioritizing some size in this class, which I think that they're planning on trying to address in the transfer portal. So, a little bit of a head scratcher to me, but that's one new name that just popped up on a Wednesday night. Hey, with me, Rob. On Hell Monte. <laughs> DC Vol 79, uh, Austin. Thoughts on Tyon Evans? Do you see him coming back next year due to the injuries, or do you see him trying to get drafted because of the injuries? I don't think he'll try to get drafted because of the injuries. I think he may get, try to get drafted because he's, he's got a little one and I'm not sure he really loves school. And so I think that might be the reason he tries to go. I, I, I do wonder about having enough on film. I mean, like, you know, some Juco film and, you know, two or three good games, you know, to me. It's is, bad defenses. Yeah. I, I just wonder if that's enough. I mean, like, again, there's been plenty of kids that made bad decisions. I don't want to say it's a bad decision, but it's an iffy decision. If, unless he, you know, has a big game against Georgia or Kentucky, like those are two good defenses, the next two games. So like, if he has, you know, if he comes out and he has a couple of good games against those, then I think that, you know, he, he probably will test the waters. If you're or if at he it. dropped a four, four, five at pro day. Yeah. Yeah. That would certainly help. Um, Orange Grizz 91, any big fish 22 recruits nibbling or calling after the last few weeks? You, you just think they're going to swing there, but 
not necessarily anybody that that you know obviously Dallin Hayden was on campus but nobody at this point that it's gotten legitimate you know with I mean some other people on the on here I'm bouncing around we had a lot of questions want to know about the Wade twins anything going on there I mean do you see anything really developing with with some 22s at this point at this point I don't see anything developing with the Wades um you know you know Demario Tolan you know since O's out at LSU Tennessee's going to go see him uh, tomorrow night and you know, and, and, you know, it's my understanding, you know, he reached out to Tennessee to see if, you know, he could, he would potentially still have a spot. That doesn't mean he's going to decommit from LSU, but I think he's at least doing his due diligence and saying, okay, we're, we're you know, where did I enjoy going to see and visit and would I still be a take there? You know, um, so that's kind of where I'm at there. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a couple more that they may swing at. We talked about Emory Jones last week, but Tennessee's, Yet to swing hard at that one. I mean, there's been a little bit of talk, but nothing, you know, nothing extravagant at this point. All right. Final question here. So we'll go rapid fire on this answer, but you got to think fast. All right. Okay. Can't get right 8402. Can you name a top three of wildest or most memorable moments you've watched in attendance while covering the balls, including all sports? Top three moments. Not the, the, the sequence of, um, Lofton shot over Durant, coupled with the five-second call, which I thought was louder than the the, the shot over to Durant. Um, the 5 win in Baton Rouge, uh, and then the Hail Mary at Georgia. Rob Lee, uh, Hail Mary at Georgia, and I remember it was just getting ready to post four quick things and then rewrite everything about fifteen minutes. So that I mean that's up there. The Florida, what was the Will Hoyt year? Hover was that? Oh four. Oh four. That one was enhanced for me because um, on the way down to the locker room, I was in the elevator with Jeremy Foley, who was absolutely steaming. <laughs> and uh, I'll go with Chris Lofton, but I'll will mention for Skylar McBee against Kansas. Kansas that you're just because I mean not just because of the shot, but also because of the circumstances where you had those you know the four kids get stopped in the car, Tyler Smith kicked off the team, you know the guy suspended. I mean it was it was a wild week of Tennessee basketball to see them beat Kansas that. Like that was was crazy. Before Hubs jumps in, if you go back and watch the, the Will Hoyt field goal, if you see me, I'm in a yellow polo. I'm a student at the time, so I don't even care. And you see me just raise my hands when he makes when he goes when because when I'm right behind the goal. I'm like right behind the right upright yellow on the field. You, and you and you you got that one good long before anybody else knew it was going to be good, right? Yes. <laughs> um, for for me, uh, you know. Not a game. Obviously, the night Lane left was wild, but we're not going to count that one. So we're talking about games and games only. Um, I was on the field at the end of the 98 Arkansas deal. That's the loudest I've ever been out there. Now, I wasn't on the field at the end of the um, at the end of the Florida game in 04. I thought the, the end of the the fumble in 98 was as loud, if not louder than Florida missing the field goal in 98. Uh, which I was on the field for that. But that one felt like it was a little more disbelief from fans that they had, that Collins Cooper had missed it. I thought it was louder in Arkansas. Uh, the Hail Mary obviously stands out there. Um, and then maybe the, one of the more bizarre things was the 13 men on the field at LSU because that game was over. And the strange thing about that game in terms of working that one from the radio standpoint, that game was over. The official did not throw the – he didn't physically throw the flag. Like, it wasn't like he hurled it out there in the middle of the field. He literally, like, dropped it beside his leg. 
and, and that was the end of it. So, I mean, if you weren't looking down that way, you didn't even, there's no way to even see the flag. And so um, that one was certainly bizarre and uh, not memorable, not memorable in the right way for Tennessee fans, but certainly a memorable one for sure. So there's some, there's some there to, to wrap up this edition of the mailbag podcast on this open date. That's going to do it for this installment. Uh, thanks to our good friends at Smoky Mountain Organics for their continued sponsorship and continued friendship with uh, VolQuest.com. And for Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast every week right here on VolQuest. Thank you.